able to speak two languages at the same time, right? That takes a lot. Open your Bibles, if you would please, this morning to the first chapter of the book of Titus. While you're turning there, let me remind you of a couple of things. The biggest one, of course, being that Vacation Bible School starts tomorrow. If you've noticed strange-looking creatures climbing all over the walls around here, then that's what that's all about. Vacation Bible School starting tomorrow. Now, we're running in the evening, as we customarily do, so we'll be starting at 645 tomorrow, running through about 9 o'clock. If you've got youngsters that are going to be coming, we do ask you, if you would please, uh, to try to get them registered online through our church website before they come. Now, that doesn't mean they can't come if they're not registered. Please don't think that way. It just kind of helps our people get things flowing easily from the beginning. So if you can, uh, get them registered. Try to encourage as many people as you possibly can to come. We passed out about 200 flyers or so yesterday to the neighborhoods around here inviting uh, boys and girls to come to Vacation Bible School. But most of the work is done by you folk. And so be out working, uh, trying to encourage kids to come. Obviously, our prayer is that they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and some of them will be able to trust him as Savior. And those that already know him will be grounded in the faith. Amen. Uh, that's when the best time to train them, nurture them up, and the nurture and admonition of the Lord is at that very young age. So be praying about that. I do have an announcement here that was given to me. It said that they're still in need of donations for VBS snacks due to several kids having dietary restrictions. We're asking for monetary donations only. And so if you can give to that end, either see Jennifer Battelle, or you can just drop it in the offering and note it on your giving envelope on the special column that this is for VBS snacks, and we'll be able to know what to use that for. Okay? Good. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen? I don't know about you folks, but I'd rather be here than anywhere else I can imagine this morning. If you're planning on doing something outside, don't worry about it. It's raining out there. Okay, and so we're at a good place. But even if it weren't, this is the Lord's house. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're excited to be around God's people. I've told you all the time I'd rather be here rubbing elbows with God's best than out there rubbing elbows with the world's worst, right? And so we want to be around God's best people, God's best servants, and that's what you are this morning if you're a servant of the Lord Jesus, and I appreciate that. Titus chapter 1, I'm going to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with me. We're going to read a rather lengthy portion this morning, and I was trying to break this down and figure out, okay, where can we just read a couple of verses and get everything in there that we need to get? And uh, then I stopped and thought, you know what, it's the Word of God. And so there's no need to be in a hurry about it. We're going to read beginning in verse 6. We're going to read all the way down through the end of the chapter. Now, if you do get too tired and have to sit down, that's fine. We understand that. But uh, we're standing, of course, out of reverence to the Word as we read it. The Bible says this, Titus chapter 1, verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, no, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, sharply that they may be sound in the faith, 
not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Verse 16, the Bible says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you once again for bringing us here to your house. We thank you for your word, for the power that it has to change how we think and how we live our lives. Now, Lord, we have no desire, or at least I have no desire this morning to just be here and do what we do, go through the motions, say the words, and uh, perform the duties uh, of service. Rather, we would, we're here to meet with you. Uh, you're the true and living God. Lord, we, we need you to speak to us this morning. We need to be, you to be here in our midst. We need for this service to be motivated and directed by you. And so I ask you, Father, for, on my part, for forgiveness of sins. I ask for fullness of your spirit and that I'll not get in the way of what you want to do through your servant this morning, but rather that your, your word would go forth with power, boldness, and clarity, and that all that are here may understand and receive that which uh, you brought them here to receive. But, Lord, I want to pray the same thing for those that hear, that everyone that is here would be fully surrendered and obedient, yielded unto you, that we would be drawn unto yourself, and that you would equip us for the battle that is before us throughout the rest of the week. As always, I want to ask you that if there's anybody here that doesn't yet know you as Savior, that they would trust you this morning before they leave, that they would hear enough of the gospel to recognize their need and be born again. Lord, mostly we ask that you would be exalted, that you would be uplifted and praised and glorified in your servants, that you would stir our hearts and make us more effective. We thank you in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. If your doctor told you that you had a grave illness, do you think it would be important for your doctor to know what he or she were talking about? I'm getting a mixed response there. This is a pretty simple question, folks. It's not a trick question. If my doctor tells me I'm suffering from a grave illness, I want him to know what he's talking about, right? Uh, that's just kind of normal. Before acting on the diagnosis, wouldn't you want to be confident that the doctrine was right? Wouldn't you want to be sure that the declaration and the reality lined up? And obviously, of course, you would. Uh, on a less serious note, what about your mechanic? Somebody said that's, le that's less serious, but not really much so, much so right? But if your mechanic uh, it tells you that something's wrong with your automobile, is a sound evaluation of your vehicle important to you? Do you want to know for sure that the mechanic knows what he's talking about? And, of course, you do. You want your mechanic and your doctor to be well-trained, to know what they're talking about, and to, uh, to have the experience necessary to take steps to correct the difficulty that's at hand. And we could make the same point in a lot of areas of our lives. The point is that when we're dealing with a professional of any kind, we don't want someone who got their license out of a box of Cracker Jack, right? You want, you want somebody who's actually been trained in their field. You want somebody who knows whereof they speak. We want them to be sound, in other words. Now, can we expect or ought we to expect or give any less on the spiritual side? What I mean is, does it really matter what you believe and why? Does your church make a difference? Is it important to be right? Obviously, I believe that it is. 
I'm convinced that the scriptures themselves bear out the importance of what we're calling or what the passage here refers to as soundness in what we believe and what we teach and in the way that those things are manifest in our daily lives. Now, before I go on, let me emphasize that the truth is always expressed in the context of love in the Word of God. Being right is of no value if there's no grace involved. But by the same token, grace and love outside of truth are frivolous and empty, not to mention insincere and false. What I'm trying to say is that within the context of grace, soundness is of great importance. I'm sorry, but not all sincere people go to heaven, nor do all religious people. Faith is only valid if it's properly placed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me. Several times in the New Testament, the Bible uses the term sound to refer to our faith and what it's based on. I want to take a few moments this morning to show you how the progression of soundness is developed in pages of Scripture. The goal is to ensure that you are rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith uh, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, as it says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. So for today, our message is a sound progression. Now, there's nothing tricky or pithy about the title. It's just something to help us remember what it is we're talking about because you see how we are, right? I sometimes forget what it was I was supposed to be talking about anyway, but we won't go there. Let me start out, if I can, going back here to our text this morning, Titus chapter 1. Obviously, Titus chapter 1 is an instruction to those who would serve the Lord through his church in the office of bishop or pastor, those who are in the qualifications of those people who would serve in uh, that capacity. I've mentioned to you before, and I remind you once again, that if you want to if you want to put the qualifications for a pastor in a nutshell if you want to summarize with just a word or two what the qualifications for a pastor are they are very simply that a pastor is supposed to be a good christian right supposed to be a good christian He's supposed to be one who lives up to the standards of the faith, if you will. Someone who believes what he's preaching, someone who believes in the Word of God and stands on it. If you go to 1 Timothy, which we're not going to take the time right this moment to do, uh, but there are also requirements there or characteristics that are listed not only for the pastors, but also for those who would serve in the office of a deacon. Those who serve the church through this area of ministry or service, taking care of the needs of the church and so forth. But the goal is to ensure that God's people are rooted up, they're built up, they're established in the faith as they've been taught. And one of the requirements for the pastors and for the deacons, in fact, it's mentioned over and over again, both in, the, in both of the books of Timothy as well as the book of Titus, uh, they're, they're required to be sound, uh, person, the Bible says here, and in fact, let's go back, if you would, uh, reading through this particular passage. Uh, the Bible says there in verse number 8, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the need or the importance of sound doctrine. But I want you to understand that we don't start there, okay? Uh, let me lay some groundwork for you if I can. The first thing that you need to understand is what do we mean by the word sound when we're talking about sound doctrine. In case you're wondering, if you, in case you haven't caught on yet, we're not talking about noise. Okay? 
Now, I realize that that which is not sound doctrine sometimes amounts to a little more than noise, uh, but sound doctrine has really nothing to do with the word noise. What the word means actually is well or healthy or strong. And so if you go to the book of Luke, chapter 5 and verse 31, the Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. You see the word whole in that verse? That's the same word that's used here in Titus chapter 1 to refer to sound doctrine. Only in this case it's talking about physical ailments. And, of course, Jesus is making the application to those who have spiritual ailments. He had come not to seek the saved, but to seek the lost, right? And he said, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. If you go on to Luke chapter 7 and verse 10, again it says, and they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. In this particular case, Jesus had healed uh, the servant, and in doing so, they returned to the house, and they found him completely well. Okay, So when we're talking about soundness with reference to our words, with reference to our doctrine, with reference to our faith, what we're talking about is uh, it's about more than just being right. Okay, Now let me pause here if I can for just a moment and, and tell you that being right is important. We want to know that what we believe is in fact truth, right? And we do believe in absolute truth. Uh, according to what has been revealed to us in the Word of God. There are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, and it's important that you get it right. Right? Okay. Uh, You folks are sleeping on me. We need to wake up, right? It's important that we understand uh, or that we take a stance for that which is correct, that which is right. But, by the same token, soundness is about a whole lot more than just being right. It actually means that we are healthy in our understanding of what the Word of God says. So soundness, then, is about more than being right. It's about being healthy and strong. We could call it spiritual medicine, or even better, perhaps uh, uh, vitamins to strengthen the spirit, right? That which prepares us for the work that God has given us to do as his servants. Now, if we go over to 3 John in verse 2, the Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, I understand uh, we're not going to get sidetracked on this, but I do understand that many people today take 3 John in verse 2 as the basis for what we call the prosperity gospel. God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God wants us to be rich. And there's the proof text, uh, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Uh, Well, that's not the primary point that's being made in this particular verse, okay? Uh, What he's talking about here, yes, is prospering, but prospering and being in health, not just in a physical and material sense, although sometimes God blesses us with those things. He's talking about spiritually prospering, growing, becoming mature, becoming stable, all that we're supposed to be in Jesus Christ, strengthening, in fact, the spiritual side of our nature since we have now become partakers of his divine nature, since we were born again in Christ. All right? Now, we've talked about all of that, but the point here is that we are strengthening the spirit by becoming sound, by becoming strong, by becoming healthy. So uh, understanding that kind of by way of introduction, let me get into what the Lord has given this morning, and that is the progression of soundness. In order to get to a sound position of faith, in order to get to a place where we are believing the right things and standing on the right foundations, we have to start out properly. 
And the Bible starts out by talking about sound words. If you will, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says this, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, what is this sound words bit? I mean, are, are there words that are unsound? Are there words that are uh, unhealthy, uh, uh, they, that do not strengthen? Well, obviously, of course there are, right? Now, the Bible talks a lot about that. Now, and our purpose today is not necessarily to address your manner of conversation, the way of speaking, but I will tell you and uh, remind you that the Bible tells us that as believers that our speech is to always be with grace, seasoned with salt, right? That we're supposed to speak forth the truth in love. And those are the basis, if you will, of sound words. Sound words are always rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the truths of his word. In fact, if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words. You see that word wholesome? Same thing. Sound doctrine. Sound words. Wholesome. Healthy words. Consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. And so he goes on and talks about the condition, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, but the condition of those who are opposed to or do not stand for sound words. They're not careful in what they say. And especially with regard to the teachers, but on the other end of that, uh, those who listen to or pay heed to words which are not sound. The Bible says there are, you may, it may seem, so many kinds of voices in the world. You ever, you ever notice the clamor of your daily life? By the way, we are so bombarded today by clamoring of all kinds that we've got to almost insensitized to it from the moment that we wake up in the morning uh, until we go to bed at night and sometimes even through the night because some people run their televisions all, all night long. They say, well, I sleep better to the voices, to the noise. And I'm thinking, man, what a dangerous thing to do. But the point is that we're being bombarded by so many kinds of voices. We're getting bombarded by influences, if you will, from the world. And the Bible says the only way to counteract that is by sound words. Where do the sound words come from? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Sound words. All matters of faith and practice come from the Word of God. Sound words are always rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the deeds and actions of our Lord Jesus Christ, and ultimately His purpose of redemption in us and, and the perfecting of that work after we have become uh, His children have been born again. All of those things are comprised what is what we know of as the Christian life. But it's all based on sound words. So uh, the point being here that there there is something that that is not sound in so many kinds of in fact let, let me just go there sound words are perhaps best understood when we see their opposite and so we begin here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3 where we just began if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to to uh, to, uh, to to godliness it says in verse 4 that he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, uh, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. 
And somebody says, That's a, there's a whole lot of big words in there. But if you read it really slowly, you can understand it, okay? Uh, the point is that these people become full of themselves. They begin to talk about all kinds of things, philosophies and traditions and whatnot that are not rooted in God. And he goes on and he says in the latter part of verse 5, the destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Now, we pointed this out a time or two before, but I want to remind you in passing once again that one of the sure giveaway signs of false teachers and false prophets is that they do what they do for money. That's the reason that they do it. And so he says that these people are full of perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, uh, supposing that gain is godliness. If they get rich, then God's blessing is upon them. If they have everything that they, can, they desire materially, then God's blessings are upon them. Can I tell you, folks, that that is not necessarily true? Did you know, now this is free, it doesn't cost you a dime, but uh, did you know that the devil can deceive you with riches if that's all it takes to get you off track? The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches and those that are distracted by the things of the world uh, there in the parable of the sower. So uh, our purpose here is not to go to that point this morning, but I wanted to point that out to you lest you forget it. Just because somebody seems to be doing well financially or just because uh, the church seems to be full every morning and all the bills are paid and all of that kind of thing doesn't necessarily mean that that's the hand of God upon it. There's a, there's a, there's a greater test that we need to look at. So the point is that sound words are derived from or entail actually rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now listen, we are not here to please men. Amen? We are here to please God. I, as a teacher or a preacher of the Word of God, have a primary responsibility. Now, I have a responsibility to you to teach you the truth, but my primary responsibility is to God. And I have to give account for the things that I say. And by the way, that scares me to death. And makes me spend an awful lot of time in prayer and preparation so that what I'm telling you is actually the Word of God as it truly is. But having said that, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, slicing it in all the right places and putting it together in a way that makes sense according to godliness and the truth that God is truly intending to reveal. So sound words are words that rightly divide the Word of God. And by the way, I do remind you once again, we mentioned this earlier, but these sound words are always scripturally administered graciously. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now, having words that are full of grace doesn't mean that you're backing water, you're backing up when, confronting with, when confronted with, uh, with untruth. What it means is that you speak the truth in love. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, let no corrupt communication uh, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So we're speaking the truth of God. We're not backing up in our belief of the words of God, but we're speaking them forth in a means or a manner that is intended to give grace to the hearers. That's intended to cause them to grow and become strong. Why? Because the goal is to use sound words to produce sound doctrine, right? Healthy words 
to produce doctrine that is healthy. So they're sound words here because they don't cause spiritual illness or weakness. They're something that's rooted in, in health in being properly prepared and presented. Now, that brings us to the second point. We start with sound words. As we're following the progression of soundness through Scripture, we start with, the, with sound words, speaking the right things. But as we do that, there's a development of what we call a system of doctrine. Now, it's important, folks, that you understand something. There are a lot of people today and a lot of churches today, in fact, that, that would minimize the importance of doctrine. They say, oh, well, you know, we don't talk about doctrine. We just, and I'm thinking, what do you talk about then? Here's the clue. You know what doctrine is? This is profound. That which is taught. So if you don't talk about doctrine, what are you doing? We're just making noise, right? Teaching, administering words uh, or sound words brings about in the hearers and in the preachers sound doctrine. And so as we put the word of God together as God has given it and we go through the scriptures and we find all the things that God says regarding, regarding a, a particular idea or particular topic or what have you, we take the Bible in its entire context and we understand what the scripture says and we're rightly dividing the word of truth in order to build on that a system of beliefs. Now I have to say that very, very carefully because the problem these days is that most of us have a tendency, if we're not careful, to build a system of belief and then go to the Scriptures for proof. Can I tell you that that's backwards? You go to the Scriptures in order to find out what God says, and based on that, you establish your system of beliefs. And I have to admit to you folks, I hate to do it because of uh, the natural innate pride that's in our hearts, but there have been times throughout my ministry when I've had to go back and say, you know what, I've been saying something that's not true. And I've got to go back to the Word of God and say, this is what God says, but this is what I believe. Let's see, shall I change the Scripture or shall I change what I believe? Now, hopefully you understand by now that my principle is change what I believe and bring it into conformity with the Word of God. But Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says this, holding fast, now this is back in our text, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful words as he hath been taught, holding on to this faithful word, he says that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In Titus chapter 2 verse 1, it says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And so doctrine refers broadly to that which is taught on the one hand and that which is believed on the other. And so as the teacher, I speak sound doctrine theoretically and you as the hearers receive sound doctrine now, by the way, the progression is supposed to be that you may go forth and teach others likewise, right? Uh, go to the, and do the same thing over again and tell others and pass on that sound doctrine. But sound doctrine comes about as a direct result of sound words. So if we've got healthy words, we've got sound words, that which produces spiritual health in the individual, then based on that, we will develop a system of sound doctrine or healthy, spiritually speaking, doctrine. I have to remind you before moving on that it's impossible to have healthy doctrine if it's based on anything else, including the traditions of men, including the, well, that's the way we just, that's just always the way we've done it, or even based on, well, that's what my preacher said. 
No, we base it on the sound words of the scriptures. We go back and we establish, based on that, the sound doctrine. Now, let me give you real quickly in passing what the Bible tells us are some of the characteristics of sound doctrine. If you go to Titus chapter 2, verse 7, he says, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing, and here you go, three-point outline real quick, you could preach this one, uh, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. What are some of the, the hallmarks or some of the characteristics of sound doctrine? The first one is uncorruptness. What does that mean? Well, it means doctrine that's not been corrupted. Profound, huh? (laughs) It's not been contaminated by falsehood or deceit. It's presenting the word of God with integrity, with wholeness, considering what was actually intended to be said and presenting it that way and not twisting it to conform uh, to our own uh, theories or philosophies. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So we're speaking the word of God without contamination, without corruption. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I want to remind you as we move on, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. One of the direct results of wholesome words that produce in us sound doctrine is a lifestyle of godliness. So it's an evidence that we're actually adhering to sound doctrine. So there's uncorruptness that is one of the hallmarks or the characteristics of uh, sound doctrine. Another one that's given to us there in Titus uh, chapter 2 is the, the hallmark of, uh, 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 excuse me, of gravity. That it is, it is uncorrupt and it is grave. Now, a lot of people look at gravity and we expect it to be something negative or boring. In fact, a lot of people think of gravity as a dull or boring, something that's without excitement. This individual is grave if they sit around frowning all the time. That's not what gravity means in the Scripture, okay? Gravity actually refers to honor, to purity, to dignity. It refers to that characteristic of a person or a thing that entitles him or her to respect or to reverence. It is that earned respect, if you will. Now, this is expected, by the way, if you go through the teachings of Titus and Timothy, you're going to find out that gravity is mentioned in all cases referring to pastors, referring to deacons, and referring to their wives. And God says that they're all to be grave. Now, that doesn't mean they're to be in their grave. It means that they are to be grave, right? That they are to be, uh, that they're to be sober, that they're to be uh, honest and pure and full of dignity. Uh, it really refers to not being flippant about the things of import, not making foolish jesting about the things of God, not taking serious matters lightly. And that takes us, of course, to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, where the Bible talks about the proper thinking method of the true child of God. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those are the kinds of things that we think about in order to develop gravity in our lives. 
And then the third characteristic that God gives us of sound doctrine, not talking about the content necessarily of the sound doctrine, obviously, but talking just about the characteristic or the character of sound doctrine. The Bible says that it is in sincerity. That is, it is without pretense. It's without hypocrisy or deceit. It's real. It's not make-believe. I've known people throughout my ministry, and I'm sure that you have as well, people that profess to stand for God. In fact, Titus talks about some of these people in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, where he says that they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. I've mentioned to you before that not everyone in the world that says Jesus is necessarily right with God. And I also remind you, and I hate to say this in public, but it's the truth, not everybody that calls himself a preacher or a teacher of the Word of God is telling the truth. Not everyone's real. There's a sincerity that comes based on sound words which establish or build up in us this sound doctrine. And so in sound doctrine, we become sincere. Now on the negative side, before I move on, let me just point out to you, if I will, that God gives us a warning that in the last times, this kind of doctrine will not be endured. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So the point is that there are those, and I believe, by the way, that we are in those times when it's getting harder and harder to get people that will support just basic sound teachings and and preaching from the Word of God. What does God say? How should I behave based on what God says? And we've got to go back to the Scriptures. And the fact that those things are not endured today is a sign that we are, in fact, in the end times. But I've got to wrap up this particular section with a positive side. Positively, when we're talking about sound doctrine, it's not all negative, you understand. Positively, uh, it's talking about sound doctrine. The Bible tells us that he may have, go back to verse 9 of our text, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So there are two things that sound doctrine equips the person uh, to do. Positively, uh, it ex- equips us to exhort. It equips, uh, the, to exhort is the primary positive reason to hold sound doctrine, if you will. Exhortation. What does exhortation mean? Most of you that have been here for a while know. It is carrying out the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember John chapter 15, 16. We're talking about that on Sunday night. Here's a shameless advertisement. Come back tonight, and we're going to start John 16, okay? Uh, but talking about John 15 and 16, Jesus promised that before or after he left, he would send another comforter, another parakletos is what that word is in the Greek. And what that means is one who comes alongside as a comforter, as a counselor, as an exhorter, as an advocate. It refers to a defense attorney, but it also refers to one who is simply uh, a, 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 an encourager, if you will. So there's a broad ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to get into all of that as we go through John chapter 16. But what I want to point out to you here is that as we hear sound words, and as we, based on those sound words, begin to have established in our lives a sound doctrine, one of the primary reasons for that is so that we may exhort one another that we may encourage one another. As we say, the Holy Spirit is the primary paraclete. He is the one whose ministry is to stand alongside of us and encourage us and strengthen us, but he uses us as his instrument 
through the ministry of exhortation through his body, that is the local New Testament church. If you go to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10 and verse 25, many of you know that this is always a preacher's favorite verse, right? Hebrews 10 verse 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, exhorting one another. Same basis here. Coming alongside, encouraging, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So the point is that one of the primary reasons to have sound doctrine is so that we may encourage properly one another. You understand, and we obviously we don't have time to go here either, but I have to chase this rabbit just a little ways. You understand that there is, there is proper encouragement and there's improper encouragement. If I come along somebody who, alongside of somebody who's suffering and just kind of pat them on the shoulder and say, they're there, it's not so bad, I may not be telling the truth because it really might be bad, right? Now, what I can tell them is that if you are a child of God, all things work together for good. To those who are called, uh, who are loved by, uh, love the Lord, or those who are called according to his purpose, and then also begin to point out to him that the purpose is to be conformed to the image of his son, and all of that. But the whole, the whole idea here is that we are to exhort one another based on sound doctrine, which has been built up because of these healthy words that we've received from the scriptures. Okay? So that's where we are at this point. But God says that he uses us to encourage one another. And then he also says that sound doctrine is to be used to convince the gainsayers. Now, if I were to, be, uh, to ask you to be honest this morning and you know, show, have a show of hands, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've read this passage a number of times and never even knew what a gainsayer was. Right? So, okay, what's a gainsayer? I know God says that we're supposed to convince the gainsayers. What is that? Well, for your, for your edification... A gainsayer is a contradictor. He is a disputer. He is, he is one who opposes himself in opposing the word of God. So he's a gainsayer. He's one who's always against it. When you preach the truth, you know, he's the one that always stands against the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible says, In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. These are gainsayers, those who oppose themselves. And God says that part of the ministry of uh, sound doctrine is to convince the gainsayers. So within a church, the Bible tells us that the mouths of some must be stopped. Now, by the way, I have to say this. I'm glad God said this and not me because y'all are getting mad at me. But look at what Titus chapter 1 verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. God says that there are some, now thankfully we've not had to employ this yet, not to say we won't have to, but there, there are some, can I just say it politely, there, there are some that just ought to be told to hush, right? Whose mouths must be stopped. Why? Because they're not teaching the truth. They're not speaking sound doctrine. And, of course, there's a specific group of individuals that are being talked about specifically here in Titus chapter 1. But the ministry of convincing is the ministry of sound doctrine. Acts chapter 18, verse 28, where he mightily convinced the Jews. And 
that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24, But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. So the ministry of prophecy there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is to convince those who are not otherwise convinced of the truth. What's the purpose of sound doctrine? To convince people of the soundness of the words that have been ministered. Now let me close up with this, okay? We're trying to give you the progression of soundness in the Scripture. How do you become healthy? How do you become strong? By paying heed to sound words, allowing the Holy Spirit to develop in us sound doctrine, which ultimately leads to what the Scripture refers to as sound faith. Titus chapter 1 and verse 13, This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in 